Welcome to Her Legal Global. I'm your host, Faye Gelb. Our podcast is dedicated to providing you with actionable skills to empower your legal career. And today we're welcoming Jacinta Gallant, who's here to talk to us about the power of curiosity. Jacinta and I went to law school together at the University of Victoria many years ago. So welcome, Jacinta. It's great to see you. And I just want to introduce Jacinta to everybody. She's the principal of Waterstone Law Group, a firm specializing in innovative legal services for families, and is the founder and president of Innovation for Lawyers and the creator of Our Family in Two Homes. So Jacinta, I'd just like you to tell us a little bit about your journey and how you ended up where you are today. What energized you along the journey and any surprises that you want to share with us today? Whoa, those are three very good questions. So thinking that uh, my interest in political science and the way people think and work and grow themselves together in, in communities was where I was interested And somehow, I don't even remember why I ended up writing the LSAT. And even though I'm an East Coast Canadian girl, I ended up on the West Coast. So finishing my law degree in UVic, I ended up being just up island on Vancouver Island in a small British Columbia town and was able to practice in a lot of different areas initially, criminal, personal injury, family, uh, probably mostly all litigation. But what happened was I became a mom. And I decided I didn't really want to go to the office full time after having my first baby and after my second baby, for sure, didn't want to. And so in making the choice to work part time, I had to choose. I really liked family law. People say, how can you stand it? I'm like, I really enjoy being with people who are going through a transition where I'm almost certainly going to see them come out better than they were when they arrived at my office. And I don't find it to be depressing or or difficult, though it's certainly challenging. That sounds like it's based on your attitude, what you bring into the actual situation with the clients, why they feel the way they do when they come out of the process with you. So tell me a little bit about that approach. Like, how do you see yourself going into a family situation and a legal proceeding that's different than what you have seen from other people? Well, I'll tell you, I, I, I was taught in a traditional way to represent a client, arrange the certain court proceedings and go at it that way. And it turned out that I had lots of good skills, but I never really thought it helped anybody. And so I remember a moment when I saw, it was a trial that we had that didn't go well for our client. And it was very disappointing to me. And while I took some responsibility myself, I tried to be a little bit more, have a, have a different perspective, but it really helped when I saw her a year later and said, how's it going? She said, oh, you know, it's fine. That judgment was ridiculous. Both of us thought so. So we just got together and fixed it ourselves. And so as I became more mature as a lawyer uh, and was handling more complex family law cases, I became a mediator. I decided that I was really tired of the of the act I put on when I was being a litigator. What do you mean by that? Well, you put on, you know, you put on your suit or your robes and you march off to court and it's a bit of a performance. And it's it's a performance that those of us who kind of like performing can really get into. So I imagined myself maybe enjoying that performance more if it wasn't so destructive to families. And so I decided I wasn't going to do court work anymore. And where did you go from there? Well, by then my mediation practice had developed and I was a collaborative lawyer. So I was able to offer clients the opportunity to work things out without court. And most of the clients that I met, even before I made the decision, would look at me and say, I'm terrified that I'll end up in court. So it seemed a real natural thing to just say, okay, well, I'm not going to go to court anymore. 
do you still want to work with me? And almost every client said yes. In knowing that I wasn't going to have to put on the, the costume and go off to use my aggressive, quick thinking brain to demonstrate some point to some judge that would ultimately destroy a family, or at least partly destroy it, I could spend my time actually getting to know clients on that human level to probe more deeply into what might make lives better if they were able to get through the traumatic and grief-stricken part of, of separation and divorce and come out in a better place. So tell me a little bit more about your process and how you got the training in collaborative law. Okay. So the, in really, I, was, I had been practicing for six years when I took a five-day mediation training, which I thought, to be honest, I went to the training and thought, oh, you know, I'll already, I already know this stuff and was put into role plays where I was like, I wasn't sure what to do or say. So that was a real big experience for me to realize that my natural default was actually really to move towards advocacy, analysis, and outcome, and to learn as a mediator at only really six years call that the human beings in front of me have they have the answers to the questions and it's their story, not mine, was both humbling and extremely satisfying. That's a real shift in how you think about the whole process. It's it's quite amazing. So you've taken that and where have you gone with it? Well, it's a mind shift, but I thought I'd already made it. You see, like that. that's what's so crazy about challenging professional development. I thought I had that. So since then, uh, collaborative practice training requires lawyers to learn mediation skills. So I already had that. Then we had to do training and how to work with other professionals because the idea of collaborative practice is that there's going to be mental health professionals working with the family in many cases, not all. And instead of having the war of the accountants or the financial specialists. So once collaborative professionals train together, we learn a lot about you learn even more about your default, but you also learn a lot about how other disciplines work with families. And so in collaborative practice, I continued to learn over the, well, let's say the next 20 years after I became a mediator, I began to learn how to work with other disciplines as well, with the focus on helping to draw out what clients needed, what they were concerned about, what they even hoped for as far as their family transition. And it just changes the way you work when you begin to look at it that way. And would you say that curiosity is a big part of your career path? Yeah, yeah. And you and I have chatted about this. One of the, I, I would say that the next big leap in my evolution, I'll just call, call it the baggage of traditional lawyering training, was to decide to do an experiment with curiosity. I, was, I pitched a workshop. I, I'm, a, I'm a trainer of collaborative professionals, and that includes lawyers, mental health people, and financials. And so at an international conference every year, I was usually giving a presentation. So I chose this theme. How? Oh, let's see. What's important? You know what? We need to shift from judgment to curiosity. So as I was building the course, I had to experiment with curiosity. And what's that mean? Well, that meant really noticing every time I was making an assumption or judgment about someone or something. And so I- And what do you do instead? Well, first of all, in noticing when you're judging or assuming, you might notice 10% of the times initially. And so if I caught myself or when I caught myself, I would pause and I would almost basically do a reset in my brain. And I would, I would say to myself, I wonder. And then I could wonder about what the person in front of me was trying to communicate to me. Or I could wonder about the meaning in the facial gesture or the body language. If you say wonder, does that mean that you actually come up with a potential possible scenario of what it means? Or you just oh, leave it open? Perfect question. 
So you start, you have to first train yourself to bother wondering because we always think we know, even if we think we're open-minded. So I started with, I wonder, and then I began to ask more questions to see if my interpretation was accurate. And I noticed that it often wasn't. And so I began to notice more often because I started with, say, 10% of the time, and then I might have got up to 50% of the time where I'd catch myself with a judgment or assumption. Now, it's easy to think of this professionally, but I want you to know I was doing this personally as well. I was just about to ask that because it seems like it'd be something that would translate to pretty much every part of your life. I'm going to say it changed my life. You know, Faye, I remember you from law school. I mean, you and I were both good talkers. We could we could make a case. We could we could handle an argument. And I think that if you go to law school with that skill set to begin with, it's it's just magnified in the training. That's so true. So some of us have a lot more to unlearn, and I have a lot to unlearn. Particularly, I had to learn what my defaults were. I'm constantly brought up to my own. It's like putting a mirror in your face when you stop to wonder and you ask and you find out you had it wrong. How do you ask? You avoid the why, you ask what, how, like how would you frame questions when you're doing the wondering? If I'm wondering based on the sense I have that I'm judging or making an assumption, I'll be more deliberate now and I'll say, I want to make sure I understand you. This is what I'm understanding you to be saying to me is, did I get it right? So I'll ask if I've got it right. There's other situations where I might just say, can you tell me more? I want to understand. Well, that's perfect. One of the challenges is we, in our professional lives, we tend to be very directive, even though we might say it's important to ask open-ended questions and really be present to the dialogue with our clients. They are paying us by the hour. And as long as lawyers are still working at an hourly rate, we have to become really productively curious. So one way is to go straight to, I want to understand you. This is what I'm getting, but do I have it right? Which is different from what we were taught as far as reframing, which is to say, oh, so this is really important to you. Or so you're concerned about that. Because then it's our words that leads them to say yes or no. And when when we're influencing clients, they'll often nod and say, well, yeah. Or they might say, yeah, but, or no, that's not right. But I notice the change when I actually ask. I want to understand so that that helps them not feel defensive, that they're simply not communicating well. I want to understand what you're saying. So you're identifying why curiosity would be important. Is there anything else that you would add, like obviously it's had a huge impact on both your career and your personal life. It's allowed you to reframe in a a productive way that contrary to the way that we were originally taught. So anything else that you would add about why curiosity is an important skill for any person? Yeah, because I, I got some good evidence in research two years ago. So I won't get into the details of it, but if people are interested, I'm happy to share the article. It turns out that neurologically and psychologically, when people experience curiosity from someone else, the person experiencing the curiosity is calmed, has their sense of satisfaction and tension relief is improved. They've been able to prove that about, if I'm curious about you, Faye, if I'm authentically curious and you experience me that way, you're going to calm down, you're going to have less tension, and you're going to feel a better sense of satisfaction. Is this different than validation? Yeah, because validation would come after. So here's here's what else the research says, though, and this is the beautiful part. So it's easy to, for us to experience when someone really looks like, engages with you, and they really want to understand you. Well, we all know that that feels good. And so the research bears that out, that if people feel truly wondered about in a caring and authentic way, 
they're going to feel feel better, they're going to calm down, and they're going to be easier to work with. But the evidence now is in that the person who shows the curiosity, so that would be me in this case, also experiences the same benefits. If I I'm calmer, I'm more satisfied, and my tension has gone down. And you're probably able to more actively wonder in a situation where your own stress and anxiety is less. Exactly. And what often gets in the way of people implementing this type of curiosity? Oh my goodness, Faye. Life, time. To be fair to, to, if we're talking about lawyers, you know, when I'm teaching curiosity, I'll often say, guys, I know we need to be productive here. And so some of the things that get in the way are people think, lawyers think that clients are coming to us for an outcome. We forget that there's a phrase that we hear all the time, people saying, I can live with the outcome, I just don't like how it happened. And so we need to know that most people, while they do care about the outcome when they're working with a lawyer, they actually also care about how they're treated and, and whether what their sense of human connection is when they're working with us, whether it's the process. Them. Yeah, so that, so that curiosity allows us to notice the disconnect. And if we make an assumption, oh, this client's behaving this way because oh, they're unreasonable, or oh, they're, they just didn't sleep last night. Or if we go into diagnosing what we think is the cause behind the behavior, then we're just, we're not being curious. And in fact, think about how often you hate that when someone looks at you and thinks they know you, or they, I know what's going on with you. And so I've learned- It's dismissive. It is, it, I, and, and we feel, we don't feel heard and understood. And how many times do lawyers say, well, I'm not a social worker. So I think part of the challenge for lawyers in being curious is that we think we're supposed to deliver the answer. That's a really amazing insight to be able to say that because I think a lot of us feel that that is our sole goal. Yeah, yeah. And so I think depending on the, pre the area of practice and the type of client you have, there will be situations where it truly is an outcome orientation and facts and figures and legal analysis will be your job. I'm not but saying along the way we have this process. The thing is, you see people miss asking important questions, even with complex legal disputes that are about facts and figures or contracts or law, because we're so focused on the outcome and the answer that we make far too many assumptions. Kind of like thinking of your answer that while well, you're listening to the other person talk. Right. It's the whole thing. We don't listen to understand. We listen to respond. And it takes away from the conversation and the productivity of everything. So how would you, how do you, when you, are you able to give us a short summary of how we could take your development of curiosity and drill it down into something that we could practice? Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, uh, in fact, I have a slide that sort of says, do this, don't do this, which I'd be happy to share. But in a nutshell, it's the whole idea of be aware where your questions are taking you, because a lot of times lawyers ask questions to direct or steer towards the answer we think is relevant and important. And that's because we're taught to analyze quickly and and the things that we're really good at can get in the way of asking questions that are purely curious. Something as simple as, believe it or not, how are you doing? You'll, you'll hear client, uh, lawyers say, I don't want to ask that of clients because they might never shut up. And they don't mean it in a mean way. They mean like, okay, I got to get on with my job. And so asking, building rapport with the person in front of you by doing something as simple as this. Even, I think even in I think in every legal dispute when a client's retaining a lawyer they're stressed out and worried even with regular corporate situations um, I agree and I say if it's a first intake and you're right-handed 
put whatever your idea of a checklist is over on your left hand so you won't be totally preoccupied with the questions and answers that you need to get. If you're left-handed, put it on your right side. And then pay attention to the person in front of you and ask open-ended questions about what they need help with. How is this impacting them? And how, how do you find that's impacted how you do your intake? Has it changed it in terms of time needed? You know, yeah. people like you had that, that observation that people are going to be worried it's going to take a, a lot more time to get through the process. So how has it impacted you? So I, 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 did, I did monitor that, actually, because if I think of 10 years ago, intake was still, even though I was trying to connect on a human level and, and had sort of this sense of uh, that our relationship needed to matter, not as buddies going out for a beer, but as two humans working together on a problem. But when I started really practicing with curiosity and put my checklist away, I noticed the clients left my office after that first consultation feeling more satisfied and happy. I didn't know why at the time. Now I do. So mm -hmm. I began an experiment, another one, three years ago. I contacted some of my favorite clients who didn't necessarily have easy cases. And I asked them. What did you do? I asked them about how they liked their work with me. I wanted to know what was helpful, what was challenging, and how I might have been able to support them both uh, as a human, but also in cost efficiency. And so wow, that's a really innovative thing to have done. Uh, that I don't hear many lawyers having actually followed up with clients. I bet you learned a lot of interesting things. I did. So I know I'm so weird, but <laughs> I don't yeah. think so. <laughs> innovative. I use the word innovative. Okay. But, when, but, in, but, but here was, here's one thing. I think it was smart that I asked the clients I really liked because I wanted more of them. Exactly. More of your ideal client. Everyone listening to this podcast who's a lawyer knows that there's lots of reasons why clients can be dissatisfied with our work. It doesn't always represent the work we did. But so many of these clients were so great because, of course, they were very, um, very generous with their praise. But they would say things like, you know, I do think that some of the times that we met, if I had been better prepared, we could have perhaps spent less time on some of the things. And then I drilled down into, well, what are the ways that you think I could have helped prepare you? And so some of them who were really already pretty skilled with a spreadsheet would say, well, if you had given me a guide for how to create a statement that you could then look at, then I think we could have saved a couple of hours with you gathering the information and analyzing it yourself. Um, others said, I can't believe how much time we spent with me just sobbing at your, you know, in your office when I know I needed that support. But when I look back on it, I, I know I was paying for that. And so that led me to create the product that I'm now exporting around the world. I want to hear about that because I personally think it's an amazing product. So tell us about this new product that you've been spreading throughout the world. <laughs> well, it's strange because I did it. It genuinely, in response to the feedback I got from these great clients, I'm like, I want to develop a tool so that clients who are working with me are prepared in a way more than just facts and figures. I want them to, be, to come prepared, having reflected on who they are, how they show up, and what their dynamic and pattern is with their partner, the partner that they're now separating from. And so the, the big joke is it was at first a colossal failure. Now, I love this story. Jacinta, the extrovert, thought, okay, I'll create a workbook and then I'll offer workshops in my city and people can sign up and I'm going to give them two, three-hour workshops. We won't share personal stories, but I'll help them reflect and prepare and gather the information they need so that when they go work with their lawyers, they will be so prepared that they'll 
both save money and have a better experience. What happened? <laughs> and people were like, this is fabulous. And, and really, in the end, everybody who was not going through a separation or divorce thought it was a great idea. And no uh -oh. one, no one who was going through a separation thought it was a good idea. So we had zero uptake. No one was interested in coming to a workshop, no matter how fabulous my workbook was or how great they thought I was. So, so what did you do? You pivoted. We pivoted. My marketing people are fabulous and they joke now that they went through their own personal separations just to help me develop this product because near the end where the workbooks were being, where the workshops were not the call, uh, I think I know why. Oh yeah, why? Uh, I'm going through my own separation right now and there's no way in hell <laughs> I would go to a workshop. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go. Talk to your users, right? Yeah. And so what we did was I had to I had to flesh it because the workshop was intended to be a companion guide for the work with me in the moment. So I expanded it so that there was way more exercises that they didn't need to be with me to do. And so the workbook has the first 11 pages are reflection, um, asking people to reflect on what they hope for in a couple of years, what they're worried might happen as they approach discussions about their separation, what their conflict style tends to be, what their values are, how they make decisions, um, how they express themselves. Are they more of a thinking out loud extrovert or are they more of a processing internally introvert? Um, all of you came questions. up with all these questions based on your experience or from those yeah. questions that you asked of the great clients? No, I came up with the questions based on watching separating couples argue in front of me for however many years I've been a mediator by then. And so truly taking my conflict resolution knowledge, for instance, people who become mediators learn about conflict style and a checklist and a, an exercise to determine what your conflict style might be. And then I created a page that was about introvert extrovert because most people actually don't know it's it's way more out in social media now but most people don't know what that means and so a tick box as to whether you get energy after a long day at the office and you want to go have a go to a party or whether you're someone at the end of the day who needs to refuel and be quiet are you someone who expresses yourself while you're thinking think out loud or are you someone who likes to process internally and so the first 11 pages are all about learning about me. Okay, so it's self-discovery, which is curiosity about me. So I'm demonstrating to myself curiosity, and my experience with clients is that they become calmer, and they have a sense of satisfaction when they meet me after they've done those pages in the workbook because they've learned something. And then the, the lawyer takes the workbook and implements it from there on? No, the workbook... So what's the process? Yeah, the workbook is for the client to do to reflect on their own way of being in the world and how it shows up in the pattern that they have with their partner. So there's a series of questions that gets at even money personality and financial decision making. And it's a mix of reflecting on who you are and also how you interpret your partner's way of being. The best way I could describe it uh, is to say that it elicits reflection. It doesn't tell anybody what how to answer. And so the first thing I do when clients have done the first, I say, please do the first 11 pages and I'll see you on Tuesday. So that my first real intake with them, the first question I ask is, well, not, I mean, we, we establish rapport and say hello and all of that. But then I say, so what did you learn about yourself? And then they start. This morning, someone brought the question of values up. Uh, yesterday, it was someone who went straight to wow, that page on money personality really hit home to me. Two weeks ago, 
someone said, I, I just realized that when the two of us are talking about something difficult, she's always talking over me. And I, I realized that's actually a thing. It's that's what that's what that extrovert page meant, right? And so then I can go wherever the client leads in terms of helping to figure out what help they'll need in order to get to the finish line. And you work the way through the book and at the end, how have you found using the book compared to pre-book time period in your practice? It's almost not comparable. And I think it's because the natural desire for self-discovery is a human thing that we forget. And we think people who are going through such a difficult time in a separation or divorce have lost the interest in discovering anything. And so I've been quite shocked because they're primed for the kinds of conversations I want to have. And not, no one has been positioned. The, curi the questions as they're framed in the workbook are very deliberately curious. And I've been amazed at the impact on the clients. I'm not kidding. Yesterday, I had a, a man and I actually thought maybe he wouldn't have been that into the workbook because the kids are grown now. So that the decision to choose working with the workbook is usually one where you're going to have a continued relationship either as a co-parent or as a, a separated parent of adult kids. And so when I asked him, what did you learn about yourself? He went straight there. And I asked him at the end for some feedback. And he said, no, I really liked it. So Perfect. I don't think it's only for a per certain type of client, but I can say in two years now that every one of our clients, I can't think of a client that said this sucked, you know, or what a waste of time. So you've spread this now, you're, you're having it translated and applied to different jurisdictions and it's throughout the world. Yeah, well, parts of the world, yeah. So in Europe, well, yeah, what that, what's so exciting is when I, when I launched it, if you go back to the beginning of the story, I launched it for me and my practice in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, a small city, right? I wanted to do better work with my clients in mediation, thinking this would really help. Then it expanded because we did a marketing campaign. So for those of you listeners who aren't yet a believer in social media, it works. So I reluctantly agreed to my marketing people's advice to do a marketing campaign. So in January 2019, we put our resource package through my firm, Waterstone Law Group, online, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. We spent a month really promoting it on social media. And so what happened was a number of my colleagues in different parts of the world were saying, that looks fabulous. What are you doing? You should license this. And so where are we now in July? Yeah. So in April, 2019, I incorporated our new company, Innovation for Lawyers. And we began the process of getting 16 of my workbooks into the hands of 16 colleagues and friends. And they were in a couple of states, eight provinces and Australia. And then we asked them to use the workbooks and give us feedback. We saw that it worked in other people's hands, which I was pretty sure of. So we customized each workbook because I've only talked to you about the self-reflection parts, but I'll briefly just say that the work law and the explanation of the law. So in one book, the clients have um, exercises for reflection that they do on their own. They don't need to share their answers, but they tend to want to share their answers. Information about parenting, support, and property law written in a, in a legally correct but accessible way for each jurisdiction we're in. So Scotland, Australia, six U.S. states, eight provinces, Spain, Brazil, we're working on Switzerland. So the law pieces are intentionally accurate but accessible. And then a bunch of questions again. What about this? What about that? So that you're considering some of the questions you'll need to answer in whatever process you're in, but no one's telling you what you need to do. I think so, this is a 
phenomenal product that you've taken with the topic that we've discussed today, curiosity, and you've made something that is completely innovative. And I believe it will change the way that people practice law because it's taking all your strengths and your wisdom and putting it into a product that reflects all of that knowledge and how things could be better. And it's a real success story. I really want to thank you, Jacinta, for coming on today. Her Legal Global, empowering and transforming us through skills and shared wisdom. For other great episodes, follow us and be sure to check out herlegalglobal.com for a community, informative skills-based articles, and to work with me, your host, Faye Gelb.